Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Wes Johnson, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. I love the truth of that song, that no matter what we face in this life, we are held by our God. We are held in His goodness and we're held in His grace and we can celebrate His goodness to us. We are called, we are healed, we are made whole in Jesus Christ. Can we pray together? God, we thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You that today we can behold the cross and say hallelujah we have been rescued and redeemed. We thank you that we can face trials, that we can face suffering in this life. Still praising your name because we know that we are held secure within your love. God, we thank you that you've given us your word today. We pray that as we we read your word, God, we pray that it would penetrate into the deepest parts of who we are, God, that it would Uh, that it would reveal something new about yourself to us, that you would open up our eyes to see a bigger picture of who you are and a bigger picture of your will for us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, in in case you don't know me, my name is Wes Johnson. I'm the worship director here at Westbridge. And uh, I am really excited for what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, just really quick, I, I don't often get to just stand down there and, and, uh, and, and worship, and I'm just really thankful for our worship team. I wish you knew just how blessed our church was to have talented musicians who are passionate uh, about, about bringing us into the presence of God with song to glorify Him uh, through music, and not to, not to have themselves recognized, but instead to point us towards Christ. Really thankful for them and our um, our worship volunteers up in the booth uh, as well. Um, they do an, an awesome job uh, in, in ushering us into the presence of God on, on a Sunday morning when we get to gather together. So I'm really glad to be here with you and really glad that you are here. Um, as it says up on the screen, we're going to be talking about Proverbs today. And in case you weren't here last week, we had an awesome message from Bo Humphrey uh, about what it looks like to pursue Christ in the good things in life. I think we talk a lot about what it looks like to pursue Christ in the hard times, uh, in the difficult times of life, Um, but Bo gave us a great uh, message on what it looks like to pursue Christ in the good things and enjoying God's gifts uh, to bring him glory without falling into being envious of what other people have or coveting other people's things or um, falling into idolatry where we elevate the creation above the creator. And there was something that Bo said last week that was just ingrained in my mind, and I want to remind us of it again today because I hope you didn't miss it. Uh, And this is going to act as kind of our springboard uh, to dive into the book of Proverbs and the wisdom of God. And what he said was, there is no part of your life that has not been touched by the gospel because there is no part of your life that was not touched by sin. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no part of your life that has not been touched by the gospel because there was no part of your life that was not touched by sin. This is a truth that I hope we can understand today. It's going to kind of act as our um, part of our foundation point as we look at God's wisdom in the book 
of Proverbs, when we acknowledge that, that um, as Bo talked about, we have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We have this part of our life and this part and this part. And, um, sometimes we think, well, God cares about this part, but God doesn't care about this part and this part so much, so I'll honor God over here and then do my own thing over here. Um, but if we are in Christ, the gospel has, is changing everything. It's changing every area of your life. And the power of the gospel by the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit in me is restoring, it's renewing, it's transforming us into the image of our creator. And this is a, this is a starting place for us as we begin to look uh, at what wisdom is. Because today we're going to be talking about wisdom. What is it? Um, where does it come from? What does it look like practically in our lives? Uh, and, and how can we attain wisdom? And actually, wisdom is a difficult thing to define in man's terms. If you Google wisdom, which I did, um, you will find that there's a variety of different articles and definitions that, that talk about how wisdom is some idea or concept that we uh, have trouble understanding and defining. But the, the general consensus is, in man's terms, that wisdom is the ability to combine our knowledge and our experiences and various other factors all together to be able to make uh, decisions here and now in the real time. And what I hope that we'll get into today is how the Word of God spells out for us God's wisdom so we can have a, a greater and a deeper understanding of what wisdom is, where it comes from, and uh, what it looks like, and how we can attain it. And so do something for me really quick. I want you to think of somebody who you would say is wise. You picture that person in your head. Somebody who you would say is wise. And maybe, maybe you think of that person because they have a lot of knowledge. Maybe they know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. Uh, maybe it's because they have a lot of life experience and you've learned a lot from their experiences in life. Or it could be because they are just really good at giving advice. I think we all have that one person that we go to when we need advice. So now let's go opposite end of the spectrum and I want you to think of somebody that you know of who maybe is lacking in the wisdom department. You know anybody who, who maybe is lacking in wisdom? Maybe who you would say uh, maybe could use some wisdom? Those of you who are looking straight ahead, I'm just going to assume it's because the person you're picturing is in the seat next to you. Uh, but these are, these are easy questions for us, right? We can think of somebody who we would say is wise. We can think of somebody who we would say is not wise. The harder question for us, and I would argue the more important question for us today is, are you wise? Am I wise? Am I living wisely? What type of wisdom am I living with? This is what we're going to get into uh, in the book of Proverbs today. And there's one foundational truth that uh, we, we want to start with that's going to lay the base for what we're going to be building upon today. And uh, it's the truth that God is wise. In fact, God is infinitely wise. He is infinitely wise. And what this means um, is that God's wisdom does not decrease. So think about that. If God is infinitely wise, God's wisdom does not decrease. That's an easier truth for us to, uh, for us to handle because that kind of makes sense for us that God's, if God is infinitely wise, his, his wisdom wouldn't decrease. Uh, an even harder truth for us to grasp, because our minds can't really stretch this big, is that if God is the embodiment, if he is the fullness and completeness of wisdom, that God's wisdom does not increase. He has the fullness of wisdom. And we have trouble grasping that because our minds can't, we can't wrap around the, the, the enormity of that statement. 
that God is infinitely wise. This is who he is. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. We are people of limits, aren't we? we? We live within a lot of limits. And we love putting limits on things. And we love when people shatter the limits to create new limits. Uh, probably the easiest application we see of this is in sports, right? When, uh, say, track and field, somebody jumps farther than anyone's ever jumped before or jumps higher than anyone's ever jumped before or runs faster than anyone's ever run before. And we get a new perspective of what the limits uh, actually are. And we celebrate that and we cheer. And, and uh, even in our culture, when we think, uh, the one that came to my mind was space exploration. When, when we send something into space farther than anyone's ever gone before and our, uh, our knowledge of the limits grows, but our knowledge of the limits cannot grow big enough to understand that God's understanding has no limit. We can't put a box around it. We can't put walls around it. That's what we're used to because this is the kind of world that we live in currently. Paul is writing to the Romans about the riches of God's grace in saving the Jews and in saving the Gentiles. And it's almost like in chapter 11, Paul just bursts into song as he thinks about this. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And amen. And so I hope today we can begin to get this into perspective for ourselves, the vastness, the enormity of God's wisdom, that he, uh, he is the fullness of wisdom. And, the, and when, we, when we begin to think about that, you may be thinking, how does, how does God's infinite wisdom directly affect uh, my life? And it does in a variety of ways. Um, the biggest one being that if God is infinitely wise, this means that God's plans are the best plans. Always. This means that God's ways are the highest ways always. So apply that to you. This means that God's plan for your life is the best plan. It's better than any plan that we could come up with ourselves. And this is a, a really hard truth for us to come to grips with. The fact that in God's infinite wisdom, he's never surprised. He's never uncertain. He's never confused. And if I think about the fact that God's plan is is the best plan for my life, that can be hard to come to grips with, especially if I have gone through difficult things in life. If you've walked through something difficult in your childhood, uh, if you've struggled through health problems, if you've walked through difficulties in your marriage or difficulties at work, then this is a, this is a hard thing for us to come to grips with, that God's plan is the best plan. But I encourage you today, if, if we can begin to get this into perspective for ourselves, we will see uh, the fact that we can find so much rest, we can find so much peace, so much hope in coming to grips with this truth that God's plan for my life is the best plan, better than anything I could ever come up with. You know, we just sung about God's goodness and that verse that talks about that in this life I may experience suffering, but I'll remember what Christ did on Calvary uh, so that I could experience life with him forever. If we will come to grips with the fact that God is infinitely wise and in his infinite wisdom, his plan for my life is better than any plan that I could think of, then we can, we can have security in that. We can have rest. We can have peace in this life in that truth. And even if you think about God's wisdom and our salvation, 1 Corinthians talks about this, that God, 
that God makes foolish the wisdom of the world. And think about the plan of your salvation through Jesus. This plan makes, would make, it would be nothing that we would think of. And 1 Corinthians talks about how um, God's wisdom, essentially, it, it, it is our wisdom pales in comparison to God's wisdom. And the fact that God's way to redeem us was to send his son to be born to a teenage girl in some nowhere town, uh, in Nowhereville, in a stable, in a manger surrounded by animals, and that that child would grow up to be a man, that he would be crucified and killed on a cross by those who claim to know and love God. That just sounds crazy to us. But God's redemptive plan, uh, he designed it that way, he planned it that way, so that we would know that we are not saved by our wisdom and by our knowledge. We are only saved by the wisdom and the power of God that was at work in Christ coming down to die on the cross for you and for me. This is God's wisdom being played out in our salvation. It's pretty amazing to think about. And so today we're going to be talking about how God's wisdom from his word can be practically seen, practically um, used in your life and in my life from the book of Proverbs. So if you'd like to turn to the book of Proverbs, if you've got your Bibles with you or there's a Bible under the seat in front of you, we're going to be going through a lot of text today and it will be up on the screen. Um, if you've never read the book of Proverbs, it, it's not like most other books where it's in a story format. Part of it is, or it, you know, most of it doesn't even build thought, then build the next thought, then the next thought. Proverbs is a collection of short sayings of wisdom. Uh, and most of these, as we'll see in the start of the book, have been attributed to Solomon, but we know there are some other authors uh, towards the end of the book as well. And also with a lot of, lot of other books in Scripture, we read the book and from its content, um, we can kind of determine why it was written and why we have it. Like in Paul's letters, we read the content of Paul's letters and we see why Paul was writing to a certain church and we see how that uh, wisdom from his letters can be uh, imparted to us here in the present time. But for Proverbs, we don't have to guess. It takes out all of the um, guesswork for us and it has in the first seven verses, it gives us the purpose for why we have the book of Proverbs. Um, so just starting in verse one, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For, so this is what, this is why we have all this information in the book of Proverbs. It is for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance." For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so here we see that the purpose of why we have the book of Proverbs is for us to gain wisdom and instruction. Specifically, gaining wisdom and instruction so that we can know what is right and just and fair, and so that we can live with God's wisdom and we can live with discretion uh, here in this life. And here in these first seven verses, it tells us what it's for, but it also tells us where it starts. So verse seven uh, is where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, 10 um, says this again, but a little differently. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if we want to know where wisdom begins, it begins with the fear of the Lord. 
And so we're going to have to um, kind of break down what this means a little bit because if, if you look at this definition, if you were to break it up to, to just look at the word fear, um, this is not the, the kind of fear that's like a, a terror kind of fear where you huddle up in a ball and, and you're in the corner like we are sometimes if we're afraid, if you're afraid of spiders or snakes or, uh, or heights or something like that. But this is a, this is a reverent fear of the Lord. Um, Mount Everest has been in the news a lot recently. I think I have a picture of Mount Everest in there. There it is. It's awesome. Uh, it's been in the news a lot recently because there is overcrowding at the summit. I don't know if you've read about this, uh, but it's fascinating that there is overcrowding at the summit of Mount Everest. People are dying waiting in line to be able to stand on the summit uh, of Mount Everest. And uh, for these hikers who are going to hike Mount Everest, this is not preparing for a vacation like you and I would prepare for a vacation where we get our outfits together and we put them in the suitcase. Or if you're like my brother Michael, you get your one outfit together and you put it in the suitcase <laughs> and that's the one you wear for the next seven days. Um, and then you get, every, the family gets in the car and then you drive to Everest and you take your family selfie at the bottom and then Siri tells you the fastest way up. And then you lace up your boots and you go. Uh, this is different. There are months and months of training, of understanding uh, understanding the mountain, knowing the mountain, because when they're up there on the mountain, um, they are no longer calling the shots. And those who climb Mount Everest are, are, are training to understand, to know the mountain so that they can know how to summit it properly because wrong moves can lead to serious injury uh, or losing your life on the mountain. There is a, there is a reverence, there is a respect for, for just the fact that, that on that mountain, they're not in control most times. And so when we broaden that small picture out, so much bigger is the reverent fear of the Lord. When we think about the fact that this is the God of the universe, he spread out the expanse of the universe. He placed each star. He calls each by name. He formed the earth with a word. And with his words, he formed us from the dust of the ground. And this is where it starts when we begin to understand with the proper perspective who God is, an accurate picture of the God that we serve, and an accurate, accurate picture of our place. And thinking about the fact that without Jesus, I would be left dead in my sin, stuck in my sin, an eternity away from God. But because of God, because of God's infinite wisdom and power, Jesus came to die for me so that I can step away from my sin, I can be freed from guilt and shame, and I can step into a life full and free that God offers me. If, if we're going to begin to understand the wisdom of God, it starts with the fear of the Lord. It starts with a reverence for the vastness of who God is, his power, his might, his glory, and understanding where we fit in all of that. And only then, when we get these uh, perspectives and priorities correct, can we begin to understand uh, what wisdom is. This is where wisdom starts, is humbling ourselves before the God of the universe. And so we're going to briefly look at three uh, major themes in Proverbs that um, the book addresses, and, and there are way more than this. If you've never read the book of Proverbs, you can do it uh, really quickly. But it is packed with really practical wisdom of how God's wisdom can be played out in your life, in every area of your life. 
And it has so much to say on things that we're not going to talk about today. It has so much to say on, on uh, wealth and being wise in your finances. It has so much to say about parenting. It has so much to say about marriage. And I would encourage you to, to, to look into it on your own and, and see how some of this wisdom can be applied to your life uh, today. But we're going to look at some of the major themes that I think, uh, as I read, these really jumped out to me as some that would be uh, pertinent to us this morning. And coincidentally, they all start with the same letter. They all start with W um, because it, it wouldn't be any self-respecting sermon if there wasn't some kind of alliteration where they all started with the same letter. So it just kind of happened that way. Uh, but the first one is work, is our work. How does God's wisdom um, play out in my work? As Bo talked about last week, we were created to do meaningful work. When God created man in the garden, um, he gave them a role. He gave them a job, and the job was to fill the earth and subdue it, to tend what, the earth, or to tend what God had created. And that was man's meaningful work. They could, find, um, they could find meaning in that work as they found meaning in their creator. They could find that work to be fulfilling, to be enjoyable. Um, but because of the effects of sin, uh, sin marred that. Sin, sin, has, um, sin has messed all that up within our work and our priorities get mixed up. Uh, but now because of the gospel, uh, through Jesus, our work is being redeemed. Our work is being transformed. It's being changed to where now with the proper perspective, I can go into my nine to five Monday through Friday and I can work to the glory of God, find meaning and fulfillment in that as I live to serve the Lord. And specifically in Proverbs, uh, we want to talk about uh, what Proverbs says about our work being marked by three things. Marked by diligence, by humility, uh, and by discernment. The first one being diligence, and uh, for there we go to Proverbs chapter 6. And it's going to be Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11. And it says this, go to the ant, you sluggard. Tell us how you really feel, Solomon. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Um, so when we read this, it sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Uh, this is a wake-up call. Now, this is a wake-up call to, to be diligent in our work. And uh, the example given to us is the ant. The ant does not have a, a boss like we would have a boss. And yet it goes out and it gathers its food at harvest. It stores its provisions uh, for, when, um, for when winter or the, or the hard times come. And this is the example for us that God's wisdom at play in our work is when we work hard, when we work diligently to the glory of God. We get a better picture of this um, or a fuller picture of this, I should say, in the book of Colossians um, chapter 3. If I could read this for us really quickly, um, starting in verse 22. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Now, we, um, we aren't slaves to earthly masters, but this, this same type of relationship translates into uh, if you are working for an earthly boss, right? Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you or to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. There's that idea of reverence again, that we, we are working out of reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So this part in Proverbs is a wake-up call for us, and combined with this truth from Colossians, we realize that we can, because of the gospel, find meaning and fulfillment in our work because we recognize that we're not working for this. We're working for this. We're working for um, not our bosses down here, but we're working for our God in heaven, knowing that what we're working towards is an inheritance that nothing on earth could ever touch. And so if we are wise in our work, we have a proper perspective in what we're working towards. And as we're working to please the maker, and God is honored when we work diligently. Another uh, mark of, of wisdom at play in our work, in a really practical sense, is through humility. Um, this one is a big one for me, and I assume that it, it may be a big thing for some of you as well. Uh, how does wisdom play out in, in me being humble? And specifically, Proverbs addresses a lot the idea of being teachable. Am, am I humble enough to be teachable, to be able to accept correction, to be able to accept discipline, um, to be able to accept vice and commands? And uh, this is a big thing that can translate into multiple areas of our lives. Are we teachable followers of Christ, able to learn from God's discipline, from God's correction? Are we teachable spouses who are ready to learn from each other, to submit to each other out of reverence for the Lord? Are we teachable employees and employers to where we're not too prideful that we can, um, that we can accept correction, that we can accept criticism, that we can accept advice? Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Uh, I think it's important to note here that when Proverbs and elsewhere in Scripture, when it talks about a fool, or earlier uh, it talks about the simple, this, is, this may be a little bit different than how we might use or think of the word fool today. This is not a reference to someone who lacks intelligence. Um, this is a reference to someone who lacks morals, someone who lacks moral direction, someone who is inclined to evil. So this tells us so much about wisdom. If, if wisdom is the opposite of foolishness and foolishness is lacking moral direction, then wisdom is walking within God's uh, moral design for us, walking in the path of righteousness. And so if we want to do that, it says the wise in heart are able to accept commands. And the big problem that gets in the way, the walls that prevent us from being able to do that is our own pride. Uh, this is a huge thing for me, um, the pride that comes up and, and it creates resentment and, and it creates um, discontentment when somebody tries to tell me how to do something and when somebody tries to come in and correct me, when someone tries uh, to come in and give me advice that I don't want, my pride gets in the way and it creates all sorts of uh, problems. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. If we can humble ourselves to the point of being teachable, with humility comes wisdom. It's almost as if uh, when we humble ourselves, it opens up the door for us uh, to gain wisdom. Proverbs 13.10 says, Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. The next part of our work um, that is being uh, redeemed by the gospel, and that is something that, that we can change and that we can live in, is uh, this idea of discernment. Um, discernment being uh, executing good judgment, making good judgments. We saw in chapter 1 there, um, 
that we have these Proverbs so that we can receive instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Living with God's wisdom, pursuing God's wisdom helps us to know what is right. It helps us to know what is just and it helps us to know what is fair. And I think we can all probably think pretty easily of some practical applications of this, uh, particularly maybe in your working environment. That being wise means making good judgments, not making rash decisions. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good judgment wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful leads to their destruction. And the reason why good judgment is so important, uh, we're told uh, in Proverbs 14, 12, that there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. This is why it's so important that we that we pursue God's wisdom and live with good judgment because there are ways that appear to be right. The problem is most times we don't, feel like, we, we don't realize that we are on that path until we're way off the right way and we look back and realize, wow, I've, I've ventured way off the right path. But God's wisdom, living with wisdom, helps us identify what is right. It helps us identify what is just and what is fair to allow us to walk in it. And it helps us to give thought to our ways. Like it says a few verses later, in verse 15, the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their ways. We want to live with wisdom in the way that we work. We give thought to our ways. Um, we're going to jump on to the next uh, W word now. Uh, and this one is uh, it's a highly practical, really applicable for a lot of us because um, we use a lot of these. And, the, and it is words. Words is the next section we're going to jump into. Proverbs has a ton of practical wisdom about using our words to honor God uh, and how choosing to honor God can, can come out in our words to others. Um, specifically in that our words, if we're living with God's wisdom, should be marked with honesty, with life, um, speaking life, and with peace, pursuing peace. The first one, honesty. We have, I think in our culture today, we've almost redefined what honesty is to make it be, I will be honest when it benefits me, and I will be dishonest when it benefits me. And it's almost like we've, we've changed honesty to mean, well, I can bend the truth a little bit to, to get out of doing something. Or I can bend the truth a little bit to avoid being corrected for something that I have done wrong. Uh, but what we need to understand about God today is that God is truth. And God is, to say that God is passionate about the truth is the understatement of the century. And so if we are pursuing Christ, then we are called to be people who are passionate about the truth. We're called to speak honestly and to not lie. Proverbs 12.22 says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. We bring glory to God when we live in his truth, right? When we are trustworthy, when what we say is truth, and when we keep our word. Colossians 3, 9 to 10 reminds us of this as well. As it says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I love that phrase. It's being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. This is a daily reminder for us that dishonesty and deceitfulness is part of the old self. And if we're in Christ, then each day I'm going to commit to live in the new self, which means that I am going to speak the truth. I'm going to put dishonesty and deceitfulness behind me, but I am going to pursue the truth even when it doesn't seem beneficial to me because this is what honors God. 
And we know that there are so many other benefits to that as well. And we know that in our salvation, the, the truth of the gospel sets us free from sin. And in a very practical sense, if we choose to live in the truth, we are free from all sorts of things like shame and guilt that we don't have to carry around when we're living in dishonesty and when we're surrounding ourselves uh, in lies. Proverbs 10.9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. If we're taking crooked paths, if we're living dishonestly, if we're um, if we're not speaking truth, then we live in this constant place of fear of being found out and being, and being shamed for that. But the, the Bible tells us here, you want to know how to, how, to, how to practically live free from that. Be a person who's passionate about the truth. Tell the truth. Speak the truth. And in that way, we can live in freedom and we can honor God. Uh, the next part about our words uh, is that they should be life-giving. They should be um, filled with with life. I think we underestimate the power of our words a lot in life um, and, and just the damage that they can do. Um, Proverbs tells us about this as well. In chapter 12, verse 18, it says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I could, I could probably make the assumption that every single one of us has been on the receiving end of someone's reckless words that have pierced us that have been so deflating and so discouraging and demeaning. And, and this is not a character trait of, of someone who is pursuing Christ. If we're pursuing Jesus, it says, the wise tongue, or the tongue of the wise brings healing. This means that if we're operating within God's wisdom, that our words of wisdom are bringing healing, they're bringing life to people. James 3 reminds us just how powerful the tongue can be. It says the tongue is, a, is a, like a fire, that it can corrupt the whole body. It says, with the same mouth, we praise God and curse the people around us. But we have the power to speak life and to speak words of healing into other people. And this is one of the marks of God's wisdom being played out in our words. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. And the next one, Proverbs 15, 4 says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And as we talked about multiple times so far, God's wisdom helps us to know what is right. And it helps us to know what is just. And God's wisdom helps us know when to speak up in injustice. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. If we will live in God's wisdom, it helps us recognize when we need to speak up against injustice and we can know what is just and it's found in God's wisdom and in his word. And just something really practical here, uh, there's, a, there's a really neat verse in here and actually another verse that kind of goes with it um, that I thought really applied to, to me that I could practically um, you know, use this in my life. And so for all of you who are in authority over someone, maybe you are an employer and you have employees under you. Uh, maybe you are over volunteers and you have people who are working under you and you um, are kind of leading them. Or maybe you're just in a place of leadership. Now, oftentimes I have found in my own life when I'm working with volunteers or people who are, um, who I'm kind of leading them, a lot of the communication I have with them is me telling them what I want from them or correcting something they've done wrong. You find that in your workplace, that a lot of your communication with people is, 
is telling them what you want from them or, tell, or trying to correct something that, they don't, that they've done wrong. And the Proverbs are filled with reminders for us to intentionally, intentionally speak life into people that aren't, it's not demanding. There's another proverb that says, a ruler who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. And uh, I thought, am I a driving rain that leaves no crops? And the people that I come in contact with, in the way that I speak to them, am I just, just oppressing them with my words and with my demands so much that I'm not allowing any growth or any life to take place? But Proverbs um, says, when a king's face brightens, it means life. His favor is like a rain cloud in spring. When we take time to intentionally show people uh, to intentionally um, show people favor, to, to, um, to show people grace and to encourage them and to uplift them. This proverb says it's like a rain cloud in spring on people. What does a rain cloud in spring do for the, for the plant life outside? Everything starts to bloom. And with our words, we can speak life into people in a way that they can bloom, that they can grow. And this is just a super practical way that, that we can live out God's wisdom to the people around us in the way that we speak. Lastly, and briefly with our words, is that our words are to be marked with peace. And that we are a people called to seek peace and to pursue it. And God's word says, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone. And uh, this is really challenging when it comes to the realm of um, the people, who, people who like to argue or people who enjoy uh, arguing Proverbs has, has some things to say about that. But more importantly for us who are Christ followers, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. If God's Spirit is in us, then, then part of the fruit of that is being able to exercise self-control. And almost more importantly than knowing what to say is knowing what not to say, isn't it? And uh, Proverbs tells us in 1632, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. You know anybody who's, or maybe some of you are, city takers? And uh, as soon as I'm, I'm ready, as soon as something starts, I'm in there with my words and I'm battling and I'm going to win. Uh, but it's better to be patient. It's better to have self-control. Proverbs 17, 4 says, or I think it might be 14, um, says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. And here the key question for us is, is honoring God better than me having the last word? That's a difficult question. And hopefully something that we can remember. Is honoring God in my life, in my words, better than me getting the last word in and trying to win an argument? Proverbs 17, 27 says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. The last W uh, that I'm going to kind of close with uh, is the walk. Scripture uses the picture of this life as a journey uh, a, a bunch of times throughout God's Word. And this idea that we are on a path, this, this life is like a journey, and the, um, the picture of a path implies that there is a destination at the end of that path, and that we need to be aware of what path we are on. Um, and the book of Proverbs tells us that God's wisdom um, if, if we will stay on the right path, God's wisdom will protect us from sin, it will protect us from strife, and uh, it will protect us from straying if we will live according to God's wisdom that's found in his word. Uh, if we look at how wisdom can protect us from sin, uh, we know in the, 
the start of the book of Proverbs that wisdom is personified as a woman who's calling out to people and saying, listen to me, listen to wisdom, I'm calling out to you. Uh, But we also know from the book of Proverbs that folly is also calling out. Folly and foolishness are also crying out to us. And this temptation of sin, oftentimes we hear that louder than we hear the voice of wisdom. And so if, if we can operate within God's wisdom, it helps us to recognize um, when we are being tempted, and it can help keep us from sin. Look at what it says in Proverbs 2, starting in verse 1. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. If we pursue the wisdom of God and we live in the wisdom of God, it will protect us from falling into temptation and from falling into sin. Secondly, wisdom will protect us from strife. Um, here we see this in the, in the start of chapter 3, um, that wisdom will guard our well-being. You know, we think a lot about the spiritual benefits of wisdom, but God's Word tells us that there are also uh, really practical physical benefits of wisdom if we will live in God's design so in verse 3, it says, my son, do, or in chapter 3, sorry, verse 1, it says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. There are very physical benefits to wisdom. If we choose to live wisely, we can be protected from the strife of the world, from the conflict of the world, and we can live in peace and security uh, if we will walk according to God's wisdom. And look at the language this uses here. Um, It says that, that if we will follow God's command, it will prolong your life many years, bring you peace and prosperity. Um, This is just, uh, I think, a reference to uh, the security that we can have in living God's way. If God's way is the best way, then when we live God's way, we can live with peace. We can sleep peacefully at night. We don't have to cling to the anxiety and the uncertainty. And we don't have to worry. And it says this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And the last part of this is that Walking in God's wisdom will keep us from straying. As we talked about earlier, there are ways that look right. There are ways that look really attractive, but in the end, they lead to death. And as I said earlier, we don't often realize it till we're way down those paths and we look back and say, I, I think I'm on the wrong path and I've, I've really strayed from what um, God has for me and the way that God desires for me to live. And I just want to read this part. I don't know if it'll be on the screen, but in chapter 2, In verse 12, it says, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, 
whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. We have so many things that are trying to pull us off the path. This is the, this is the goal of our enemy, of our, ad, of our adversaries, to oppose the will of God in the world, to, to pull us off the path of righteousness. We have people in our lives. It says it will save you from the ways of wicked men. We have people in our lives uh, who are, uh, whether they know it or not, they're, 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 they're pulling us off the path if we are not wise. If we are not living with wisdom, we're going to be following people off of God's plan, off of God's path for our, life, for our lives. And we just need to be aware of, of which path we're on. And maybe today, I pray that God would give you an awareness of the path that you are on and that you would uh, begin to seek um, God's wisdom. And that's where we get to as we close. How do we attain God's wisdom? How do we get this wisdom? How do we live in it? God's word is very clear that we, and we seek it from the Lord and we ask it. Of him. James 1 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, and he gives generously to all without finding fault. So, why don't more people do this? Why don't more people ask God for wisdom? Why don't more people seek wisdom and pursue it? And I think the answer is because we only pursue things that we perceive to have value. I mean, any episode of Antiques Roadshow can tell you that. That somebody who found a bean can from the 1850s in somebody's garbage and turns out to be worth thousands of dollars, I can guarantee you that the person that threw that away, if they knew that it was worth that much, there's no way they would have thrown that away. We pursue things that we perceive to have value. And until we perceive the wisdom and the knowledge of God found in his word, until we decide that that has value to us, then we are not going to come close to understanding God's wisdom and we're not going to be able to live in it. I just want to remind us what chapter 2 says. It says, if you cry out, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver, search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Until we, until we attribute value to God's wisdom, we're not going to pursue it. And so this is, a, this is a choice that we make as Christ followers to say, God, I'm choosing to pursue you. I'm choosing to, um, to dive into your word. I'm choosing to pursue you and your wisdom through your word above everything else that the world can offer me. And I'm deciding, God, that, that what you offer me and the hope that you offer me and the wisdom that you offer me is more important than anything that the world could ever offer me. And when we do that, then... God's word says, it says right here, we will find the knowledge of God. We will understand what wisdom is. And God's wisdom will guard us and it will guide us. And just to go back to the truth that we started with, there is no part of our life that has not been affected by the gospel, that has not been touched by the gospel. And so the, what we need for life, what we need in every area of our life, the wisdom that we need to walk through life, to stay on the path of righteousness, 
It's in God's word. And we are to pursue God above everything else. And so my prayer for us today is that by the wisdom and the power of God, um, just to pull from this verse from, from God's word, that we would not conform any longer to the patterns of the world, and the world's wisdom, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we can be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good is pleasing. And as we talked about, God's perfect will. Would you join me in prayer? Um, God, we thank you that you've given us your wisdom through your word. We thank you that um, by the cross we can have um, new life. By the empty grave, God, we know that we have a hope that is eternal with you. Uh, We have a hope that lives because Jesus lives, that one day we'll spend an eternity with you in your presence. But God, while we're here on this earth, we, we thank you that you have not left us alone. You've given us your spirit and you've given us your word. And so God, um, we pray that if any of us lacks wisdom this morning, God, that we would ask from you, that we would pursue wisdom at its source today, God. From your mouth come knowledge and understanding. So God, help us to develop a passion for your word, a passion for the truth, a passion to, um, to live wisely to realize that you want to change, you want to transform even the smallest and most mundane areas of life to bring them in alignment with your will. And God, if any of us are, have, have strayed from the path today, Lord, we pray that you would just make it abundantly clear to us today that we've lost sight of what matters. Bring us back into a correct reverence for you, God, a proper perspective of who you are, the vastness of who you are, and the amazing love that we get to live in and be recipients of through Christ on the cross. Lord, we pray that we would be a people who are not wise in our own eyes. We pray that we would be a people who are not wise according to the standards of the world. God, we pray that we would be a people who seek, pursue, and live out your wisdom in this world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.